0: ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله Today is our QA, Tuesday. So let us begin, inshallah ta'ala. Brother Sahil from Nigeria emails. And mashallah, Nigeria. I have so many good friends from uh, Nigeria. Barakadaini uh, from me, or maybe you're watching uh, it, I should say, uh, Inakwana, I should say. Maybe I don't know what time is it over there. But uh, Brother Sahil asks about a custom prevalent in Nigeria, and let me add in other places besides Nigeria as well, uh, that he says that uh, he is accustomed to standing up every time an elder enters the room. And also, uh, if a tribal leader comes in also to uh, come down and to touch uh, the feet of the person. And he is asking that. Is this something that the Sharia allows to stand up or to bow down and touch the feet of the person? Is it allowed to do this or not? What is the ruling of the Sharia on this? Now, uh, because Alhamdulillah so many different people watch these uh, videos that we actually have to take a step back sometimes and uh, wonder, or explain I should say to our audience, uh, why is it that we are even asking uh, such questions? Because people who are not familiar with our faith or people who are just beginning to practice Islam, uh, they don't quite understand the, the the motivation for such a question. For many people it seems utterly inconsequential and trivial. And the response to this is that, uh, well, uh, the, the 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 notion that we're worried about here is extreme veneration. Just like anybody would understand, anybody of any faith background would understand that a person who believes in one God would not want to fall into prostration in front of an idol. So they would understand that that is a veneration that they don't want to do. So too, we have to ask ourselves, what is what constitutes a veneration that becomes problematic you know and uh, from problematic where does it become you know actually into idolatry that's of course a longer uh, discussion of course it will only become idolatry or shirk or paganism if you intend to worship uh, that entity but there are certain actions even if you don't intend to worship that entity you should not do them uh, for uh, that entity or being so this is really the reason why we're discussing this is that is it permissible to show respect in this manner. Of course, we show respect to our elders in a way that the sharia allows, with good language, with good wording, with good manners. This is the ultimate respect, with controlling our tongue without uttering any negative word in front of them or insulting them. We show respect in our treatment and ihsan, and yes, even, in our physical demeanor to sit with decorum and to sit in front of your mother or your father with an element of, of, of respect uh, the way that society allows definitely it is a part of our sharia but then the question rises where does it cross the line into that gray area or that danger zone or crossing into the yellow light we should say because the red light of shirk will not occur uh, unless you are intending to, to worship or deify which of course will not happen uh, with your elders and whatnot but I'm saying still there is a gray area that we would not want to do so the question arises that uh, are these two aspects standing up when somebody comes and also uh, bowing down and touching the feet okay these are the two things we'll discuss and they are actually two separate discussions so our brother asked them together we're gonna have to answer part one and then part two so the reason why Uh, this question uh, arises of standing up is because quite a number of of, uh, 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 scholars have discussed the hadith of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi That whoever likes that the people should stand up qiyaman to stand up for him Then he might as well prepare himself for the fire of hell. Whoever loves that the people stand up for him that person, he might as well be prepared to be punished by Allah, that is a sin or a crime. This is what the hadith says. Now, what is the sin or crime? Is the sinner crime standing up? Or is the sinner crime having that arrogance that you expect people to stand up? You see, that's the key point here, that what is prohibited? Is the prohibition other people standing out of respect or is the prohibition the person in his heart thinking, I am worthy, everybody should stand up when I come into the room. This is the question here. And the response to this, how do we know? We look at other incidents in the life of the Prophet SallAllahu and we see what he himself did and we see what he told the companions to do. So it is quite clear from the seerah that our Prophet SallAllahu Himself stood up a number of times to greet particular people that he uh, that he uh, uh, loved immensely, especially his family members. And in fact, these narrations have been compiled by the famous Imam al Nawawi. You know, all you've all heard of Imam al Nawawi, the one who wrote al Salihin and the one who wrote the Forty Hadith of Nawawi. He wrote an entire treatise. It's a small booklet called Risala to al bil Qiyami li dawil Fadli, the Risala, the Epistle of uh, the permissibility of standing up for the people of honor and respect. We already know his opinion. Therefore, that if the person is honor wor- worthy of honor, your father, a sheikh, an elderly person, when they come into the room, Imam Nawawi is saying that he entitled his treatise the permissibility of standing up for uh, the person of father, the person of honor. And uh, he qu- he mentions in this treatise. It's a small treatise. Uh, it's available in, in Arabic, not in English. He mentions in this treatise a number of incidents of them reported in Sunan Abi Dawood that uh, the Prophet Sallallahu was sitting one day when his foster mother and foster father, and that is Halima As-Sa'diya and her husband, that they came to visit. And so the Prophet ﷺ, uh, stood up to greet, uh, stood up to greet them. And he gave his own cloak for them to sit on. Okay, so his foster mother and his foster father. And this is of course, you know, the, the incident when uh, uh, Amina uh, uh, gave uh, the Prophet ﷺ to be reared by the Banu Sa'ad. And so uh, the the, um, uh, the the foster mother Halima and the foster father, the Prophet Sallallahu uh, they raised him for a, a few years. And that, that is when the incident of the shaqqa, of the sadr, of the splitting of the, the heart occurred, uh, uh, that the Prophet heart was opened up and cleansed. Now, the, the fact is the matter of course is that here he stood up to greet them and he gave his own cloak uh, to put as uh, something for them to sit on as an honor to them and this is a great honor because they are in the end of the day his foster mother and foster father and of course the sharia uh, you know, uh, uh, encourages us to show respect to our foster parents as well. Uh, fostering of course means that uh, uh, the, the, our mother Halima uh, f- fred the, uh, the, the bre- breastfed the Prophet ﷺ, and so that foster lineage was established. We also have uh, the story of Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl, that when Ikrimah fled uh, from the conquest of Mecca, uh, he then changed his mind and he returned back to Mecca expecting Allah to forgive him and expecting the Prophet to forgive him. And so the Prophet was in the haram and when he saw Ikrimah, because of course Ikrimah, you know, yes, he has a very negative past and he has a long list of what he has done, but in the end of the day, his lineage. And his status is one of the highest of the Quraysh, right? So Abu Jahl is his father. And you all know we are we all despise Abu Jahl, but the Quraysh loved him and he was their leader. And so Ikrimah has now taken on that status. So for ikrimah to embrace Islam and for Ikrima to come back to the Prophet, ﷺ, this is a great honor for the Ummah, and it will bring other hearts into Islam. So when the Prophet ﷺ saw him, Wathaba ilayhi farhan, he stood up in happiness to greet him coming. So this is Ikrima, the son of Abu Jahl, the Prophet stood up to uh, greet him. And also in the famous incident of uh, the Battle of Khaybar, when Ja'far ibn Abi Talib came uh, after the Prophet Sallallahu was camped in Khaybar for an entire month almost and he eventually conquered the entire uh, lands of Khaybar, that uh, when uh, on the day of the conquest of Khaybar, on that same day, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib uh, made his way to Medina and then made his way to uh, Khaybar to meet the Prophet Sallallahu And so when the Prophet, and Ja'far of course is his cousin. And of course, you know, they are raised together in the same household. Remember the Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. And Ja'far was much closer in age uh, to the Prophet than then Ali. So Ali, of course, was a child. You know, compared to the Prophet Ja'far is uh, much closer in age, and so the Prophet and him are, of course, first cousins, and they are raised in the same household like brothers. And of course, our Prophet loved Ja'far immensely, and he hadn't seen Ja'far for seven years. He had not seen Ja'far for seven years since he migrated to Abyssinia. Now he's come back to Medina and then he moves up to uh, Khaybar to meet the Prophet Sallallahu And then our Prophet ﷺ, our Prophet ﷺ stood up to greet Ja'far and he kissed Ja'far. And he said, I don't know what is making me happier today, the conquest of Khaybar or the return of Ja'far. I don't know which of the two I'm happier for. That I've conquered Khaybar today, but Ja'far has come back. And the entire lands of Khaybar and that one person, Ja'far, I don't know which of the two is making me happier. But the point is that he stood up to uh, greet him. And we also have in the Sunan of Abu Dawood that uh, once uh, Zayd ibn Haritha, visited the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, he returned from a journey and of course Zayd ibn Haritha is of course the quote unquote adopted son remember the story that uh, you know uh, in the days of Jahiliyyah Zayd was adopted and then of course Allah revealed that there is no adoption but the point is that the love was there like a son and Zayd has been raised in his household so one when, when after a journey Zayd came back Aisha narrates that uh, uh Zaid entered uh, into my house and faqama ilayhi fa'tana qahu wa qabbalahu the Prophet ﷺ, stood up and hugged him and kissed him stood up and hugged him and uh, kissed him and uh, in the famous incident of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, when the uh, when uh, tahkim or when the arbitration was taking place uh, after the battle of the Khandaq, when Sa'd came on a donkey uh, and he was sick and he was bleeding and his people were waiting there and he's coming with difficulty and he just gets to Khaybar. Our Prophet uh, uh, Sallallahu our Prophet said to his tribe, إِلَى sayyidikum, Stand up to greet your leader. He literally said, Stand up to greet your leader. Don't just sit there. He's come tired. He's He was literally on his deathbed. Of course, the Sahaba did not know. They were hoping he would recover. But he was deathly sick and he was bleeding and the wounds were there and he's so tired and he's coming with great difficulty and the people are just sitting there and the Prophet said, stand up, he's your leader. He was the leader, right, uh, of the Ansar. So the Prophet told them to stand up and uh, commenting on this, Al-Khattabi said, that this shows us that it is not makrooh to stand up for a person who is a leader, who is a person of uh, respect. And so this is the position of basically the vast majority of scholars. ul Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, he writes that, if it is from the custom and the culture of the people that they stand up to greet somebody who is coming in, uh, And if this standing were not done, the person would think that this is an intentional insult, then in this case, it is al-aslah, it is the wiser and better thing to do that uh, one stands up so that, uh, you know, no evil or no bad idea comes into the minds of the people. So this is basically the vast majority of scholars, they say it is permissible to stand up. Then how do we understand the hadith? Because the hadith is seems to be pretty clear that our Prophet said, whoever loves that uh, people stand up for him, let him be prepared to face the punishment of Allah and the fire of hell. How does one understand this hadith? Well, uh, there are multiple interpretations of this hadith. Of them is that what the Prophet is forbidding is the culture of the Romans and others that when the king comes in, the others are not allowed to sit down. So this is not the action of standing and greeting and that everybody sits down. This is the pagan custom, which was common in Roman lands and in other lands, that when the king is sitting, no one is allowed to sit in his presence, and only he can sit. So this is one opinion. Another opinion is that the sin and the prohibition is upon the one who feels arrogance. So he's happy that everybody's standing, you know, for me. And the Prophet of telling him, no, don't feel that sense of arrogance or pride. The one he expects the people, that's the key point here because the hadith has meant a habba, whoever loves that the people all stand up for him. So he's craving attention. And of course, this is an element of uh, uh, narcissism. And then some of the scholars have said that this hadith is a threat to those people who do not deserve it, so these are the evil tyrants and this is what the Prophet is talking about, he's not talking about the righteous people because his own actions demonstrated that we do stand up for uh, righteous people. So the point is that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that to stand up when somebody comes into the room and to uh, greet them and to kiss them, uh, all of this is completely permissible and there is no problem in this as long as, as we said that it is not a notion that you stay standing and the person is sitting as a matter of, you know, uh, 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 the, as a matter of, let's say, enforced cultural uh, uh, virtue, if you like. That if it's something that is enforced by social norms, that with this person, and this would only apply to a king or a tribal leader, that if that is the case, and we need to get rid of that practice. Because that is something that clearly the Sharia, you know, the Prophet would sit and the Sahaba would sit. That's not something like uh, there's any issue uh, there. So there is clearly. Truly therefore uh, uh precedence. In justifying and allowing one to stand up when an elder enters the room, when a scholar enters the room, when a leader enters the room, when a parent enters the room, no problem. Anybody you know who's you, who, you know who deserves that. But our, the hadith applies either to those who don't deserve it, or to the one who is arrogant and loves it. You know, or to the one who remains uh, standing when the people. Uh, sorry, who remains sitting down when everybody else is standing up? And Allah knows best. Now that's part number one. Part number two, he says that the custom of bowing down to touching the feet. Now he's not asking about Sajdah, he's not saying putting the head on the ground, he is saying we touch the feet and in the process our heads come down. Now with regards to this issue we say that the Sharia has forbidden the lowering of the head as a matter of respect to any human being. It was allowed in the previous sharia's as as we know from the story of Ya'qub and Yusuf and as we know from the story of the angels and uh, Adam that they all bowed down, right? So to lower the head to another creation was something that the previous sharia's allowed. And lowering the head includes ruku' and it includes sujud. It was allowed in the previous uh, generations to do that as a matter of you know uh, as a matter of showing respect to the other uh, person. And the, it remains in Western culture. You know that uh, you would bow down to the king or queen, or you know in Western culture, you know the the man would bow down to the lady as a respect, like I'm showing you respect. So that notion remains in the Western culture very slightly. It's almost gone now. Um, but in our religion, in our Sharia, this has been abrogated. We do not lower our head intentionally. The goal of lowering the head, the niyyah of lowering the head, is not something allowed. And this is something that is pretty much unanimously agreed upon in the Sharia. Ibn Taymiyyah says, al-Muslimun." There There is Ijma' of the Muslims that to prostrate to other than Allah is haram. We do not prostrate to other than Allah. Now obviously, if you prostrate with the intention of worship, this is shirk. If you prostrate, عُوذُو to a, a false god, an idol, and you want to please that idol, this is major shirk. But if you lower your head out of respect to another human being, this is not shirk, but it is haram. We do not do this. And this is something that uh, uh, is explicit in the, in, the, in the sharia because there are a number of traditions in this regard. Mu'adh ibn Jabal's narration as well, uh, that when he came back uh, from uh, the Syrian lands, he fell down in Sajda in front of the Prophet Sallallahu and the Prophet Sallallahu said, do not do this. Uh, it is not allowed for a makhluq to do sajda to another makhluq. It is not allowed for a creation to do sajda to another creation. Sajda is only done to Allah. That Allah says in the Quran, لا تسجدوا ولا للقمري واسجدوا لله الذي Do not prostrate to the sun and do not prostrate to the moon and prostrate to Allah azza wa who created them. Now, the word sajda primarily implies putting the face right, right onto the floor. And that is the highest form of submission that you demonstrate submission. However, technically from a purely linguistic point to bow the head down is also a type of sajda. And therefore when Allah says, do not do sajda to anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, therefore this includes any bowing down. Now, what if somebody says that uh, uh, how come we're allowed to stand and not do, and, and not to, to to kiss the feet or to touch the feet? We say this is what the Sharia has come with. And we go to the Sharia to say what is too extreme veneration and what is permissible, permissible veneration. And the Sharia has allowed showing respect and showing honor by standing up when your father comes in, by standing up when a loved one comes in. Uh, and the Sharia has not allowed us to bow our head down. Now, what if somebody were to say that Okay, but how about if I'm, uh, you know, uh, my mother's coming in on the wheelchair uh, and I want to uh, kiss her. Is this something that is allowed? We say here, kissing an elderly person on the forehead, let's say, okay, this would be permissible, be, or, or on the hand, this would be permissible because the goal is the kissing and not the bowing of the head. Whereas when you touch somebody's feet, there is no other purpose than to lower your head in front of the in front of the person. So we look at the goal of this act that you know if, if it so happened that you know uh, uh, your, your, your mother was taller than you, let's say where your grandmother, your grandfather's coming in, you would kiss and you would stand up and kiss his forehead right? So the goal is not to lower your head, the goal is to kiss the forehead. Uh, in some cultures, by the way, so again, maybe I should clarify, I have an international audience in many cultures of the world, uh, in many cultures of the world, uh, especially Eastern cultures, kissing the forehead of your elderly uh, relatives and parents, it is of the highest signs of respect. Kissing the forehead of a sheikh is a sign of respect that, you know, you are beloved to me, and I respect and admire you. Now, kissing the forehead is permissible and it is something that even in the, in the, in the, in the seerah we come that the, in the process of you know kiss Ja'far so these are things that we we come across that uh, uh, the, 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 the seerah allows this and it is understood but even if you have to bow down I'm saying it is permissible because when you bow down to kiss the goal is not the show lowering of the head the goal is the kissing so that which is done uh, you know uh, unintentionally that which is not intended directly is overlooked, you're not intending to bow the head down, you're intending to kiss. As for that which is done intentionally, that is what what the Sharia is based on, and therefore, those who uh, want to lower their their heads in front of another person, uh, we say to them, this practice is considered to be too extreme in the Sharia and it is going into that gray area that the Sharia has. When I say gray area, I mean stepping stone to shirk. It is not gray, it is haram, it is forbidden. So when I say gray, don't think that I'm talking about ambiguous. I mean here that it is a stepping stone to shirk is what I'm saying, that you are venerating too much. And so the Sharia has put uh, uh, checks and balances and put barriers so that you do not go to this level. And so to uh, to conclude this question, it is completely permissible to stand up to greet an elder or to greet a leader or to greet somebody who's coming back from a journey. Anybody that you want to greet, you stand up to greet them and then you all sit down. No problem. It is, however, not permissible to touch the feet of the person as a token of respect because that is a level of veneration that the Sharia has drawn the line at, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Our next question, Brother Ahmed from New Jersey writes with a very interesting question and I chose this because I found this question very intriguing. He says that Ibrahim asked Allah to show him a miracle and he said that liyatma'inna qalbi and Allah obliged and showed him the miracle. Then he says, but how about us? What if we waver? And what if we want liyatma'inna qalbi? Can we ask Allah for a miracle, and can we make dua to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to show us a miracle as well? So this is a very interesting question, and to answer this question, of course, we begin by uh, reminding ourselves of the story, Surah Baqarah, verse two sixty, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says uh, that Qala Qala Inna Qalbi. That Ibrahim said that, O oh Allah, O oh my Lord, show me, show me how you bring the life, uh, give life to the dead. كيف تحيي الموتى? How do you resurrect the dead? And Allah says, "Awalam تُؤْمِنُ Don't you have faith? And Ibrahim says, بَلَا, of course I have faith. وَلَكِنْ but لِيَطْمَئِنَّ قَلْبِي I want my heart to be comforted and reassured. I want to find itmi'nan, sakina. I want to find peace of the heart. So Allah then says, bring four birds and train them to come to you. And then, you know, cut them and then scatter them on different hilltops and then call them. And Yatina uh, kasaya. they will come to you flying in haste and know that Allah is indeed almighty and all wise. This is the famous story uh, of the birds and Ibrahim in Surah Al-Baqarah verse 260. And This is an interesting story, which has caused a lot of commentary in the uh, books of Tafsir, And uh, it shows us really that you can have faith and still want reassurance. You can have faith and still want to be shown a sign. And in fact, to add to the profundity of this verse, there is a beautiful hadith in Sahih Bukhari Sahih Muslim that our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam recited this verse, and then he said, نَحْنُ أَحَقُوا بِالشَكِّ مِنْ إِبْرَاهِيمِ نَحْنُ بِالشَكِّ مِنْ إِبْرَاهِيمِ We have more right to shak, to doubt, than Ibrahim. We have more right to this than Ibrahim. Now, this hadith has generated a flutter of responses from our classical ulama. May Allah azza bless and reward them and grant them firdaus and we are all standing on their shoulders. This hadith was deemed to be problematic at face value. And our scholars try to understand how can we interpret this hadith because it seems to suggest that Ibrahim alaihi salam had shak, doubt. And the Prophet is saying, we have more right to be to have doubts, then uh, Ibrahim alayhis salam, and this has caused, as I said, a whole flutter of interpretations. And so, some ulama actually went uh, and said that this hadith actually means the exact opposite of what it says, which is that there was no shak and there was no uh, there was no doubt at all, and that in fact neither Ibrahim nor the Prophet had any doubt. And therefore, the Prophet is basically saying Ibrahim did not doubt. Because if he doubted out of modesty, he's saying we have more right to doubt, and um, you know other interpretations are there as well. And Yani, I mean, you know me; I am a very frank person. I think all of these Yani bending over backwards and trying to reinterpret Yani, I don't see a problem in uh, accepting a very simple understanding of this hadith that doesn't problematize uh, any issue. Of course, the prophets of Allah are not doubting Allah's powers. Of course. So the word shak here is not the doubt of Iman versus Kufr, because that would yes, clearly be uh, problematic. But the word here liyathma in qalbi, it means you want a sign to reaffirm what you know. You believe, but you want something that reaffirms that. And this is what Ibrahim is saying liyathma in qalbi and the Prophet is saying that we have more right for that shak than Ibrahim. So the shak here is not a doubt in the Qudra and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but rather it is a sign of affirmation and a simple example of this is that you know, the child knows that the mother loves the child, the, the child knows that the mother father loves me, but isn't it nice for the child to see that love? Isn't the child reassured when the mother demonstrates that love, right? And so this is that in قَلْبِي that knowledge is one thing, and then the actualization of that knowledge is something else. And so this is the 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 type of, you know, uh, show me the love, right? It's not just do you love me or not, but it is show me that manifestation. It is is an affirmation if you like of the desire to see what you know to be true and the human being is weak all of us are weak and to know is one thing and to see is another and of course there are many examples of this perhaps the most obvious example is in the Quran is the story of Musa AliHissalam and the worshipping of the false gods you know the golden calf that was worshipped right Musa Alayhi was in direct communication with Allah and Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la spoke to him directly on Mount Sinai. And Allah Azzawajal then said to Musa, that, uh, uh, "O oh Musa, your people have taken a golden calf after you have left. Allah said this to him directly. What is this? This is knowledge. Did Musa have yaqeen? Of course he had yaqeen. ila qawmihi, uh, asifa. He returned to his people angry and extremely in a state of agitation. So he's angry when he hears from Allah that his people have worshipped the golden calf. Then, when he sees the actual golden calf, his level of anger completely goes to a different level. He threw the tablets that Allah had given him, what Allah had given him, divine from Allah. In his anger, he wants to attack, he wants to rush, he throws the tablets away, and he jumps on the leader, his own brother, and he says, how could you have done this? How could you have allowed this to happen? Now, do you understand what I'm saying here? Allah speaking to him, did not give him the level of anger that when he saw the calf himself. Notice the difference here, right? How weak is man? How weak is man? Knowledge of the mind is not the same for us as seeing with the eyes. And this is how we need to understand Ibrahim Alayhi saying, of course I believe, Bala, I know you can do this, but I just want that extra, right? So just like uh, Musa Alayhi gets so more angry, much angrier when he sees, Ibrahim wants to increase in that yaqeen. He has yaqeen, of course he has yaqeen. To not have yaqeen is kufr, obviously. Of course he has yaqeen. So when a Prophet is saying, Shak, he doesn't mean shak, the opposite of yaqeen. He means here, I want that extra affirmation. I want to go beyond just knowing that it is true. And our Prophet then says, you know what? It's okay if Ibrahim had it, you know, we can also have it. And this is something that opens the door that, you know, we believe, but wouldn't it be nice to see something like this, right? That's some, that is basically what this is about. So that is the story of Ibrahim Now get to get to your question. To be technical, you were asking, that basically can ask Allah for a miracle, okay? To be technical, it is not inherently sinful uh, to ask for something extraordinary. However, let us divide this question of yours into two. To ask Allah for a miracle that deals with you and your life and your family. To ask Allah for a miracle that you are being harmed and you need a change in you need a change in your, uh, you know, like let's say uh, a sick family member. Let's say you've lost your job, you have no source of income. And you ask Allah for something that seems impossible. This is the essence of Iman. This is the essence of Iman. Because you are demonstrating that the world might think it is impossible, but oh Allah, I know you, for you everything is possible. So to ask for what we would call a miracle, when the world seems that all of the doors are shut and mankind might have abandoned you, and at that point in time, like Yunus in the belly of the whale, he calls out, أَلَّا إِلَّا That level of Iman and Taqwa, it is the level of the prophets and those who are following the prophets. So, when all the doors of mankind are shut and you raise your hands to Allah begging for a miracle, This is the essence of Iman. You have demonstrated you believe in Allah and you have Iman in Allah and you have full faith in the names and attributes of Allah and you know that Allah can hear and see and grant you what you need to be granted. So that is definitely permissible. But to ask for a miracle that is special, that is just for you to prove the power of Allah, like Ibrahim asked, or even more you know, to prove the existence of Allah, some of our you know, youngsters might be denying, does God exist? Oh God, show me a miracle, you know, that type of stuff. So from that paradigm, I have to be honest here, that I, I, I do find that paradigm to be problematic. I differentiate it between the miracle that you need to live this life, the miracle that you need to cure your son or daughter, the miracle that you need to heal yourself or to find money or something that you are in pain, you are suffering and you need that miracle for your life. Of course, that is exactly what a believer does. He turns to God, he turns to Allah and he begs the miracle. But for you to just sit back casually, cross your feet and say, like some, you know, sometimes non-Muslims say, hey God, do you exist, show me a sign. I don't know if you truly exist or not. Show me a sign. You know, I have to be honest here. That paradigm really seems to be problematic. The least that can be said is that there seems to be a level of arrogance. Now, you can say, hold on a sec. Didn't Ibrahim ask Allah? Didn't Musa ask Allah to see him? Musa says, oh Allah, I want to see you. And we say, Yaqi, calm down. Ibrahim and Musa are in direct communication with Allah, okay? I and mean, he flutter back to earth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Ibrahim and Musa they are prophets of Allah. They are communicating directly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have gone through trials and tribulations, the likes of which we can never imagine. They have reached a level of communication and knowledge of the world that they unseen that is beyond anything we can understand. So for them, out of love to ask Allah, as Musa said, Let me see you, O Allah or for them, you know, out of, you know, uh, verifying even more or increasing that level of yaqeen, Ya Rab, show me, you know, how uh, you resurrect the dead. That is something very different than us demanding a sign from Allah, showing us that Allah has power or that, you know, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Allah is real or something, Ali, Some of the, you know, or God is real or something. And you know, there's a whiff here of that, of what the Quraysh did, the Quraysh, demanded miracle after miracle, right? Uh, that, waqalu أَرِنَ Allah You know the, the Bani Israel said well, they want to see Allah Azza wa Jal face to face. And uh, the Quraysh also said that, waqalu uh, لن لَكَ We're not going to believe in you. Uh, تَفْجُرَ لَنَا مِنْ الْأَرْضِ ينبوعة, Until you cause a spring to gush forth from the earth. وعنب, or you have a garden of palms and of uh, vineyards. Or you cause rivers to flow abundantly. كسافا, or you cause the sky to break up and fall into pieces. Uh, uh, بالله بالله or oh, you bring us, or you bring us, Allah and the angels face to face. Or you show us that your house is converted to gold. Or you come in front of us, ascend to the heavens. And then the Quraysh said, All of this, by the way, Surah Isra, look, this is a beautiful verse. Allah mentions their arrogance and all of these miracles. Uh, and even and then we will not believe in your recitation uh, until uh, your uh, ascension excuse me until uh, you bring down to us a book that we can read from then allah says Qul rabbi, say to them subhana rabbi hal kuntu illa bashar i am a human being that is sent as a messenger so allah says we are not going to entertain this type of arrogance you see the Quraysh asked a miracle and Allah rejected. No. And Ibrahim asked a miracle and Allah gave. Why? Because Ibrahim is Ibrahim. His love, his maqam, his status is totally different. His paradigm of asking is totally different. Whereas the Quraysh paradigm or the Kafir paradigm is a paradigm of arrogance. And Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran If we were to cause all the angels to come down and the dead spoke to them and we resurrected all of the animals in front of them and the d- dead people in front of them, they would still not believe. When you get to that level of arrogance, then no, we do not ask for such types of miracles. We are told that it is not befitting to challenge Allah in this type of game. Allah does not play games. Allah says we don't play, right? We created the heavens and earth, right? And Allah says that. Uh, 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 We didn't create them uh, uh, as a just, as a joke. So Allah is negating that He does things with a wisdom. He doesn't do things out of foolishness. And therefore, when a person demands this type of miracle from Allah, there's an element of foolishness and it is not befitting uh, for somebody to do this. So frankly, if you're asking for, as I said, a miracle related to your life, that's totally fine. That is the essence of Islam and it is a sign of your worship and servitude and ubudiyyah and acknowledgement that Allah is al-Qawi and al-Aziz. But if you're asking for a miracle to see if Allah is powerful or not, or even worse to see if Allah exists, then I would say that is a problem. And it is also a sign that you are ignoring the blatant miracles all around you. What more miracle do you want? then you yourself you are a walking talking miracle from head to toe your entire existence is a miracle you are an embodiment and a manifestation of the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala your existence is a miracle the world around you from the shining sun to the green trees, to the blue waters, to the life all around you, to the harmony that exists between all aspects of the creation. That is enough of a miracle to indicate that Allah is Al-Qawi and Al-Hakim and Al-Aziz. And the fact that you have the faculty to appreciate this. So it's one thing that it exists. And it's another miracle that you can appreciate the miracle because there are two separate miracles, right? It's one thing that it is up and existing, then Allah gave you, al-sama uh, uh, <coughs> Excuse me. That, sama wal wal-afida He gave you hearing and seeing and intelligence. How little are you thankful to Him? So the point is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has shown us the miracle of His existence simply by the world around us and he has shown us the miracle of the truth of Islam via the Quran. So, dear brother in Islam, if you want a miracle for the existence of Allah, then you and the world around you is enough of an existence. سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الأفاق وَفِي We will show them our miracles, all around them and inside of themselves. If that is not enough of a miracle for you, then no other miracle will work for you. And that is why when an atheist, when an agnostic, when a Qurashi demands to show Allah Azza wa I want to see Allah in reality, in reality, even if He were to see, he would still not believe. Because it's not a matter of seeing. He has reached a level of arrogance that is beyond the scope of uh, being benefited by miracles. On the other hand, if your faith is going down as all of us goes ups and down and we just want a reaffirmation of our Iman in Allah it's not that we doubt Allah it's like we want to know that you know our religion is true we want to know that we know it again this is not the doubt of of kufr It's the doubt of like Ibrahim that I want some extra knowledge in this case then we can increase our Iman by the miracle of the Quran by reciting the Quran listening to the Quran. And by uh, extra dhikr and ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will find in our hearts the sweetness of peace and understand the reality of our faith. So we have miracles that are Far more massive and far more, you know, grandiose than anything you could possibly ask for, and that is your own existence, and that is the existence of the world around us. That is the miracle that proves Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and we have the miracle of the Quran, and that is the miracle that proves the truth of Islam and the truth of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the truth of our faith. So the two miracles put together, the miracle of existence and the miracle of the Quran, these are the only miracles that you need. There is no other miracle that should give you any extra sense of Iman or any extra sense of uh, you know recognition from these two therefore to conclude your question I say once again if you're asking Allah for something that others would deem to be extraordinary miracle but you are asking because you need it for your life then yes go ahead and ask and it is Sunnah to ask of this manner, and it is the Quranic commandment to ask because you are asking the God who created you and the Lord who loves you for the miracle that you need to live. That is the essence of servitude and of Islam. But if you're asking out of a sense of A'udhu billah, Yani, there is a whiff of, you know, a little whiff, even if it's not discernible, but still uh, you're, 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 you're blind to the actual miracles around you, and you're demanding something extra and above and beyond that is not befitting and becoming, our maqam and level is is not that of the Prophets of Allah. We cannot say to Allah, Oh Allah, show us how you resurrect the dead. That's not befitting who we are in our status. It's different for Ibrahim and Musa and others. When they ask Allah, they are a different category of mankind. And as for us, the general miracles that, that are around us and the miracle of the Quran that is sufficient for us. And with that inshaAllah ta'ala, we come to the conclusion of today's uh, lecture. InshaAllah we'll continue next week. Jazakumullah khair. assalamu salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات عد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما